On a beautiful run through the park on a pleasant day, you can easily get lost. No, no, no! She didn't kill him. Huh? In your true crime podcast. It was the pool guy. So obvious. Whatever motivates you works for us. It's all about letting your run be your run. And Brooks is here for every runner, doing the research and sweating the details to create gear that works for you. It's your run. Brooks, run happy. Podcast. My name is Dmitry Filipovich, and joining me is my good buddy Ryan Lambert. Ryan, what's going on? Man? What's happening? A lot's happening. We're recording Wednesday <laughs> early evening. We just saw a million signings. I think Cap Friendly at this point has it approaching eight hundred million dollars in terms of contract dollars that were hanging out. I have Cap Friendly open seven seventy two nine twenty five. There we go. By the time people listen, I have no doubt. I think they're still no uploading more. some of the tri- some of the signings that have already actually been for, like finalized they're just uh backlogging a bit um but also joining us is is my good buddy jack fraser jack what's going on fellow uh quite a lot it's been a it's been a very long day i am if i never see another hockey dad of his for the rest of my life i think right now i feel pretty happy but at least it was exciting it wasn't like last year where we were just kind of sitting around awkwardly for uh you know an hour at a time without a signing happening so i guess i'm grateful for that yeah, certainly. Uh, even though we still reside in a flat cap environment, uh, teams had no such limitations in terms of the money they were spending, and we're gonna work our way through it. We, the three of us, did um, a show last week, which feels like months ago now, talking about the expansion draft and what Seattle chose to do, and, and it was fun and people enjoyed it. So I figured we'd bring back the team uh, together for this one. And so the plan for today is we're going to uh, work our way through a genuinely insane day of signings, uh, going to try to sort through the biggest themes, best and worst moves, uh, whatever it is we think that, w- that was notable. And because so much happened, it's pretty easy to miss stuff. So I think it'll be a good exercise even for us. Um, and so let's get right into it. Um, Ryan, I'll, I'll let you start. What, um, give me your biggest story, whether it's a theme or whether it's a team or, or a player, you can take it any way you want. Yeah. I, I think the thing that is truly, truly amazing to me, and I, it's funny because I, I actually wrote about it, uh, for elite prospects over the weekend. Um, I, I don't know how NHL defensemen are valued anymore. Like I, it just doesn't make any kind of sense to me. Um, I mean, you know, the, the people are saying, would say that this is an apples to oranges comparison, but like the fact that Seth Jones got, uh, eight years, nine and a half and, uh, Kale McCarr got six years, nine, uh, is wild. Dougie Hamilton just got seven years, nine. Um, and I, I look, you know, I, I don't think we need to explain to the listeners of this show, uh, where we are uh, as a group where all three of us are at um Seth Jones wise or Dougie Hamilton and Cam McCarr wise uh, right. honestly yeah um but like you know Seth Jones is a guy that's like you know the numbers hate him but here's the one weird trick uh that he that he uses to get NHL people to think he's good at his job um and i guess it's being tall probably playing a lot um and maybe that's two weird tricks, but the thing, and I was just saying this to Dimitri before we started recording, um, to tell you how uh, insane uh, NHL defenseman valuation has gotten. Um, the Boston Bruins, uh, I think yesterday announced they re-signed Mike Riley, three years, $3 million. Yep. And then today, Mike Riley, very good middle pair defenseman. Um, really shined after uh, being traded to the Bruins at the deadline. Um, today they give Derek Forbert a bad bottom pair defenseman, like defense only, offensive black hole. Um, couldn't cut it on uh, the Winnipeg Jets. <laughs> uh, 
and uh, they give him three years, $3 million, the exact same contract. And I don't know how, like, I don't know how, if you're Don Sweeney, you're saying these two players are worth exactly the same to me. Yeah. Well, I just talked a lot. Sorry. It was no, I mean, listen, it was certainly, I think that is the biggest theme. It certainly was a good day to be a defenseman, especially if you are over six foot tall, especially if you're over six, two. Um, and if you shoot right, like, Oh my God, you were, you were laughing today. I think here's a sampling of some of the contracts we saw, uh, for a variety of defensemen, Cody CC, four years, 13 million, Derek Forbert, three years, 9 million, Tucker Pullman, four years, 10 million, Travis Hamanick, two years, 6 million, David Savard, four years, 14 million. Ryan Suter, four years, 14.6 million. That obviously doesn't include the $76 million extension Seth Jones got. Uh, the contract for, I think, three years, 10.5 or so, the Brandon Montreux got the day before from the Panthers. Uh, the premium that the Flyers traded to acquire Rasmus Ristolainen. Um, and so I guess, in one sense, I'm, I'm surprised that that much money was given out to, to defensemen of, of varying levels. And, and obviously I think all those guys shouldn't have been paid as much, especially in the term they got, I, I, but I guess we should have seen it coming just because it feels like this has been, it's a perfect storm for it, right? We just had a postseason where any broadcast you turned on, regardless of who was playing, they were talking about how Montreal had four Chris Prongers who were these big defensemen who were carrying them <laughs> yeah. in the postseason all the way to the Stanley cup final you had, then we entered the entry draft or the expansion draft. You had Seattle, taking guys like Carson Soucy and Jeremy Lozon over objectively better candidates from their own teams. You had the Leafs protecting Justin Hole over Jared McCann. Um, we saw the trades on day one with the Seth Jones and the rest of the line and stuff. So it seems like teams just talk themselves and kind of back themselves to this corner of, of thinking like, all right, we, we need to fill a quota of this certain type of player because that's been proven to be successful in the league. And that's why you have, uh, off seasons like this one so far where, where it just seems like the valuations are so off from what you typically expect based on what the players have actually provided in terms of their on ice results. Yeah. There was a lot of, uh, is that per year or over the entire contract mm -hmm. this time around, which I, I feel like we hadn't seen for a while, but I, I totally agree Dimitri. I think it's definitely part of a larger thing that we've been seeing. I mean, not, you know, we obviously saw it a lot this playoffs, uh, you know, like I think actually you predicted during our uh, second round preview, you know, as soon as Vegas beat Colorado and, you know, Sam Gerard had a bad series, you know, that basically confirmed to, you know, 31 or 32 GMs that the answer to your defense's problem is that they aren't big enough. And it basically gave them kind of a carte blanche to go to any depth defenseman that was available, especially if they were right handed and give them a contract that seems totally out of whack with what their actual ability is. So I, I think that was definitely the biggest theme for me was, was not only, you know, I, we knew Seth Jones was going to get a giant pile of money. You know, we knew teams were going to value Rasmus first line. And, you know, the, the minute munchers are always going to get big piles of money because that's how they're getting evaluated. It's, it's the, the trust that, okay, if these guys are getting trusted in these big minutes, then presumably they must deserve it. They're big. We can, you know, project their physical gifts onto our lineup and and dismiss any issues that they had with it was their system. But it, it was the, the depth guys that really kind of surprised me of, of these guys that you haven't really heard of before or, you know, you, you kind of see them in a third pair role and then suddenly they're getting paid as though they're these guys that needed to be locked up. So well, that was definitely strange. And it seems like the common defense of it you typically see it from fans of the teams that just sign these players is well that's the market what can you do right and and i always find that to be such a strange argument because the obvious answer seems to be what's the like what's the rush to to sign at that market price then like if that's the case just just hang out just go on vacation for a couple of days uh wait for it to change the market always changes for better or for worse there will be better buying opportunities at some point you don't need to build your team for October 13th on opening night or whatever it is in July on July 20, 27th or 28th, whatever it is today, I've, I've lost track of the days, but you're basically like, you're just admitting like, all right, well, other people, my friends are making mistakes. So I'm just going to make mistakes right. too, because Hey, whatever, everyone's doing it. So we're going to kind of fit in. It, it, it's so bizarre. And it's kind of such an ass backwards logic, especially in a competitive setting, like the NHL in a hard cap system where you really can't afford to make dumb mistakes on the, on depth players like this and teams just time and time again, basically see others doing it. And they all just kind of have this pack mentality about it. Yeah. I mean, I, I I'm looking at it right now. Like 
Definitely, there's not, there's nobody that where you look and you go, oh my God, how did, how did this guy slip through free agency? You know, like the first day of free agency. But like, I don't know, can you get Ryan Murray for less than three years, $3 million? He's a much better defenseman uh, than Derek Forbert. Just, yeah, he's not a right shot, I guess. But, uh, you know, you, you, he's, a good, he's a good player. Um, you know, Sammy Votnin is a player I think that we would all agree has has some lower uh, end of the lineup value. You know, um, and it's like, yeah, nobody's calling these guys. Jack, have you seen have you seen anything quite like the Canucks' the defensive depth chart on the right side, where it seems like right now it's Tyler Myers, Travis Hamonic, Tucker Pullman, and Luke Shen, I guess. Uh, uh, I think Madison Bowie might also still be in there. I'm not sure if he's uh, a free agent. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, look, it's, it's not making me too many friends in, in Canuck land right now. If, uh, I could tell you the truth. Uh, but yeah, I, I mean, honestly, you know, I, I guess a, a good gauge of how much it seems like the attitude towards cap space and contracts has changed in the course of seemingly two weeks is, you know, if you look not down even, this list, yeah. Of, yeah, if you look down this list of contracts, how many of them, if they pass through waivers on January 12th, 2021, would have been claimed. You know, I think there's a, a couple of them that would be, and I think there's quite a few of them that wouldn't be. You know, there were there were good players all season long who were on contracts that just so happened that, you know, there was, there was two years instead of one year or three years instead of two years, and it was three million instead of two million, and that were passing through waivers seemingly on a weekly basis. And and suddenly it seems like, you know, I don't know if if the owners and GMs got all excited because they saw an ESPN logo in the corner of the screen for the first time, but suddenly it seemed like the purse strings were were open and and every team, I guess, just completely reverted to, you know, I guess in retrospect, probably what they were dying to do last free agency, which is get back to normal and and you know start giving out seven hundred and seventy million dollars. Uh, much of it, as usual, is going to get regretted. Yeah, I, I think that is, is certainly true. Um, all right, I'm going to give you guys my big takeaway. Uh, the Seattle Kraken. Yeah. Um, so I, I have to admit, I've spent uh, a large chunk of the past week trying to come up with potential theories, uh, talking to as many people as I can in the league, trying to sort of piece together what the vision and plan was here and sort of the sequence of events that led to all the decisions Seattle's made in terms of personnel they, they've acquired in various ways so far and, and kind of what their vision was for this roster in year one. And I was hoping, you know, leading the expansion draft, which the three of us talked about at length on, on, on a recent podcast, we were kind of came to the uh, agreement that it made sense that they valued cap space and flexibility as much as they did. They didn't want to take on anyone else's bad contracts really for the most part. And we figured that either via some sort of trades down the road, they would acquire assets for the future, or maybe, you know, disgruntled players or players that other teams just couldn't afford anymore, or they were going to go big game hunting and free agency with either Dougie Hamilton or Gabriel Landeskog or whoever else. And they were going to really bolster their team, which would have actually made sense. I think normally you'd say, building through free agency isn't ideal, but just based on the personnel they'd acquired in the expansion draft, they had this like interesting complementary group of low event defensive players. And if you added a couple sort of linchpin offensive threats, it could really make them an interesting team, especially in the Pacific division. And I guess technically like they certainly spent uh, here in day one, they right. got some interesting pieces depending on your mileage on them, but I can't, I can't reasonably say it was an optimal use of their available resources. And it doesn't make me feel, it doesn't do anything to make me feel more confident in what their plan is moving forward. Cause it feels like something weird happened in the meantime. And they sort of had to readjust cause this couldn't have been their number one game plan heading into it. It just seems so bizarre if that's the case. Yeah. I, the thing that I don't understand is they, you know, I, I think sensibly kind of went cheap on goalies in the expansion draft. They they got Vanacek and they got uh, Treasure and mm, one other guy. I'm forgetting who Joey it was. Decord, who is Joey waiver, Decord. waiver exam, so they could just send him up and down. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And like Joey Decord, uh, you know, his track record even before he got to pro hockey is, is solid. And and so it was like, okay, they have like a. a you know, they're getting their ducks in a row in the crease. And then they were like, what if we gave a 29 year old uh, six years and, and almost $6 million 
um, and then uh, traded uh, one of the goalies we drafted back to the team that gave him up. What if we did that? And what if we uh, let Gavin Bayruth, who's the only guy we took from the guy we took from Columbus, uh, what if we let him just sign with Columbus uh, after all this? Like, what was the point then? Like, just, I don't know, say pass. We're good. We're not going to take these guys. Um, You know, it's kind of belaboring the point a little bit, but like when you go, oh man, look at how much cap space they have. They could go hog wild. They could, they could offer sheet uh, Elias Patterson. They could, uh, you know, they, they could offer sheet uh, any, any number of guys. Um, And then they were like, yeah, we're going to give Jaden Schwartz five and a half million dollars. And like, I don't have anything against any of these players that I'm about to say, but uh, we're going to give Alexander Wenberg four and a half million dollars. Uh, we're going to give Jamie Alexiak four and a half. We're going to give Adam Larson four. Uh, we're, you know, uh, and then I said Grubauer already. Right. But it's like, oh, okay. So you're just going to like spend money like a normal GM that feels like they're like, quote, you know, quote unquote, going for it. Uh, but, okay. Yeah. I mean, because you know the the thing, the thing that I and I wrote about again. I wrote about this like uh, whatever, uh, but right before the expansion draft, I think I said you know they there's no pressure on them to be like actually good because their division stinks, right? Like they they could we said it last week they could totally back into the third place uh, in the Pacific with the roster they they had at the end of the expansion draft. We like, you know, that was totally a reasonable expectation. And they said, what if we barely improved but spent $20 million to do it? Uh, it's a plan. Yeah, it, none of it made any sense to me at all. Like I was I was blown away when that Alex Wenberg contract came through. I mean, you know, you, you got to remember, like, Wenberg is a guy who got bought out of a contract that was essentially just this contract. Like, like last year, he, he was on 4.9 until 2023, and now he's at 4.3 until 2024. Uh, and the only difference between then and now is that he shot 20% this season, which, uh, as as always, you know, we know is a perfectly good measure of a player's well, true talent, especially a guy like Alex Wenberg. The amazing thing is, from 2017 to 2020, and then obviously he got bought out by the, at the end of that run. He scored 15 goals in 198 games combined. Last year, he scored 17 goals in just 56 games. He shot 20.7%. As you said, he played 400 plus minutes with Jonathan Huberto, which I'm sure helped his offensive totals quite a bit. The closest comp by, uh, by Dom's model is 2011-12 Billy Leno in his first year with the Buffalo Sabres. Now under we're talking under what's, what's, what's remembered as, as a great contract that, that lived up to all the hype and certainly provided value for, for his team. Um, yeah, that one's wild. I think the Schwartz, I love his game. Uh, Good, wildly like effective said, player. No, no, like, I'm not trying to slight his game. I don't think he's a $5.5 million. No, well, here, for, five, for five years, he's a 29-year-old who's missed extended periods of time in four of no. the past six years and whose shot generation rates have been cratering progressively over the past three years. And his closest comp, I think, or one of the close comps is Louis Erickson when he signed his Canucks deal. Like, it's like, I, I, I'm I, just struggling to to come to terms with the rationale here because we just, we praise them for understandably passing on bad contracts that other teams had signed. And then they just use that flexibility to go ahead and just sign their own bad contracts yeah. a week later. It's, I mean, you know, use the same waivers test. I mean, if these three contracts were available to Seattle in the expansion draft, would we have sat down last week and said that they should have taken them? I, I think probably not. Grubauer is like the one Grubauer's that we maybe. Yeah. talked about. And, and, you know, we would have had an argument about like locking up money and goaltending and it, it could have been interesting. But I mean, you know, Jaden Schwartz, you know, like you said, like he fits this team. Like he is exactly the kind of like low event, defensive minded, player that they need and they don't have any left wings like i like considering this sheer amount of cast space they had if their big move today was just we're going to sign Jaden schwartz we're just going to round out this roster we're going to keep the identity going that would have been one thing but it, it, again like the, this team seemed kind of set up to be either a we're going to go through the go for the big dogs and then if we don't get the big dogs then we're basically going to do what arizona is doing like we're gonna you know 
maybe get some cap dumps that actually improve our team, like like Arizona did with Goss's Bear and uh, Strowman. We're going to pick up uh, picks in the process, and we're going to lose respectively. And and maybe we end up in the lottery, and maybe we compete for a playoff spot, but we're not you know going to have sacrificed any potential assets from from cap space for that. And instead, they kind of carved out this middle ground, which I feel like limits their options in both directions, and and probably cements them as as a potential you know ninety five point team next year that that like Ryan said is going to be competing with the more dysfunctional teams in the division. But I I, I really don't see how this team is with the additions they made. You know, is I don't think they're going to be competing for a Stanley Cup next year. Everyone seems to be in agreement that the Coyotes are basically having the summer that. Seattle should have had ideally, yes. right? Like they, like the coyotes, I think basically spent $22 million in terms of future salary. And they bought the ninth overall pick. Obviously that was complicated because OEL's contract and Connor Garland were in there as well, but five seconds, one, a third and one seventh. And it's not even like they took on these albatross contracts because pretty much all of that cap money is coming off the books after this one year except for, I guess, one more year of Andrew Ladd and one more year of Gosses Bear, who could conceivably become a positive asset at that point. And instead, they're basically left watching over the past week as players that they could have taken for free and flipped to other destinations go for legitimate assets in Nikita Zadorov going for a third and Brendan Dillon going for two seconds and Jake Bean going for a second at the draft. Instead, they either just punted it by taking Gavin Bayreuther and John Quenville. And, and I think the, the Washington one is just a wild example to me. I understand that they, they probably didn't think that they were going to get Philip Grubauer. So that's why they took Vitek Vanacek and then their plans kind of changed, but optically for them to take Vanacek and then send him back to Washington for a second, while they could have just taken Dylan and flipped him to Winnipeg right. for two seconds is like just a classic example of not either not understanding the market or not doing your due diligence or just misplaying your hand. Like I, it's one of those for sure. And yeah. that's, that's disappointing. Yeah. I mean, the, th- the thing that's wild is a, they're now spending an expansion team is spending nine and a half million dollars on goaltending. Uh, nobody should do that. Like it, it just shouldn't, uh, unless, unless, you know, it, it's a situation where you have a carry price and you're like, well, he's a $10.5 million goalie. And we also have to have this $2 million backup because carry price can't play a full season or, you know, I kind of get that. Obviously, I would uh, warn caution against that. Um, but the other thing is, like, they had what? A f- how how long have they had their full or almost their full front office together? Like a year plus, right? So for them to go, oh, we had no idea. Well, Philip Grubauer and like completely change course a week after the franchise started. What do you believe as like as an organization? And, and, um, you know, to, to your, to your point earlier about, uh, Arizona, uh, I just see it. It's official now, uh, Darcy Kemper to Colorado for Connor Timmons and a first round pick and a third round pick. Um, you know, obviously Seattle's not in the position maybe to, to trade, uh, to trade Dreger now for nothing. Um, but like, uh, you know, if they if they keep Van, if it's a Vanacek Rubauer tandem, then it's you know like I I just they they how do I want to put this? They gave up their position of of power so easily, you know, like the 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 power to be like oh we can take any player from any team almost you know uh, at will, and they were like yeah we're not actually gonna do that but we could have. And boy, wasn't that a scary week or two for you guys? Yeah, I just intellectually, it's it's bugging me so much. I just I want to know so badly what happened over the past week or leading up to the expansion draft and and how the, it played out this way. It can't. I refuse to believe that this was like they're sitting right now and like yeah, we nailed the past week. It went exactly according to plan. Yeah. Not how- not that not that this league ever does. Of course, you know there's 32 teams now. A lot changes. You're kind of you know, subject to the whims of, of other GMs, but it's, you're right. Like it, the, the group hour thing kind of came out of nowhere, right? Like they weren't even linked to him heading into the day. And then all of a sudden it's like, Ooh, uh, watch out for Seattle here. And then, Oh, Seattle's getting close to group hour. And then they clearly them giving him the sixth year helped quite a bit. And, and, and we, I think all three of us like group hour, like he, like he's yeah. a good goalie. Um, but it just, it, it's kind of, you have to lump it in with the bigger picture of sort of 
how they came came around to getting all these players and what they valued and why they they went the route they did. Yeah, the other thing to uh, to say, and again, I'm talking too much. I apologize. Um, but you know, I I think back to when Ron Francis was running the Hurricanes. What was what was the problem all those teams had? A Cam Ward. They don't doesn't seem like they have a Cam Ward situation for now. Two years from now, they very well could. Um, and B. Uh, no high-end talent that can put the puck in the net. They still don't have high-end talent that can put the puck in the net. And and so, like, let's put it this way. You know, Jordan Everly, uh, he wasn't even a first-line player on the New York Islanders, a team that we think, like, collectively as a as an uh, analytics community or whatever, uh, we don't think they're really, um, you know, that deep of an offensive team, let's say. And even they were like kind of iffy on on putting Jordan Everly up on the top line. Although, well, you know, no, no, he was playing with Barzell. He was. Well, he was no, I know. I, but what I'm saying is like, um, in their like in an ideal scenario, yeah, yeah, in an ideal yeah. scenario, yeah, yeah. They, they they wouldn't have been comfortable with that. Yeah, and well, it's well, like okay. Well, I mean, one last thing that kind of seems strange to me is that you see Wenberg go three years, four point three. And then about an hour later, Mike Hoffman goes to Montreal, three years, 4.5. If you were looking at that Seattle roster and saying, who is the guy that they should probably have in terms of like what their needs are, you'd probably say Mike Hoffman, like, you know, in terms of he can actually put the puck in the net and be a factor on the power play, which isn't something that they really have. You know, it's just kind of a, just kind of a a weird thing, you know, And, and maybe, you know, a year from now, it's all going to have played itself out perfectly and they'll have set themselves up perfectly for next year's free agency or something like that. But yeah, it, it, it's it's strange. It's definitely a lot weirder than I think, you know, even Vegas was when they were putting that team well, together. And it, it, the 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 frustrating thing for me, I guess it's not frustrating. Like, they're, I think they're going to be good, like in terms of like the both the division, also the defensive identity. I think they're going to win a fair number of games. Um, but like a one satisfying argument of the direction they went would be if they were positioning themselves for the next two drafts, which are by all accounts loaded. And we're like, all right, we're going to get top picks and try to get franchise players and build offensively through that route. And these moves made them better. Uh, obviously not to a, to a degree that lines up with how much they paid and how much future term they took on, but they, now they're kind of forcing themselves more towards the middle and uh Yeah. It, as a team building philosophy. I, I, I hate that. So not ideal. Um, let's take a quick break here and then we're going to pick up with, uh, with more of the themes and, and notable signings and all that after the break. Recognize employees with custom ink, show customer appreciation with custom ink, outfit your teams with custom ink, easily add your logo to your favorite products and brands at custom Make custom ink your custom gear partner with great customer service, quality products, and all-in pricing, along with personalized help when you need it and an easy-to-use website when you don't. All backed by a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Do it all today at customink.com. Champions aren't born, they're made. And the secret to make your business reign supreme? Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Forget the off-season work. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling warm-ups or wall hangers, it's time to start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build the relationships that create die-hard fans. Shopify fields all the sales channels to grow a winning business from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. Shopify is a secret to becoming a business champion by making it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere, taking the guesswork out of selling. When you're ready to take your winning idea to the world, team up with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash bluewire, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash bluewire to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash bluewire. 
All right, Jack, it's your, it's your turn. Give us um, your big theme or, or team you want to talk about. So if there's two things that GMs learned from the, uh, the past two playoffs, the first one is obviously the big, the big boys on defense. Second one is that the key to your success is a four checking forward uh, who can battle it out in the corners, dig out pucks, recover them. And uh, I think that this free agent class was pretty big on, on that kind of player. And, and they got some, some long contracts that I think that we can predict are probably not going to look too hot on the second half. Uh, talking about uh, specifically uh, Blake Coleman, uh, being an obvious one, uh, Zach Hyman being another. And I, I think you could even talk yourself into Gabriel Landeskog being a third guy on that list in terms of three guys who play the type of game that we have learned in the past doesn't tend to age too well across the players' 30s, uh, who nonetheless, I think, managed to get themselves some pretty long-term deals that that teams are probably thinking at a pretty win-now perspective about. Yeah, I mean... The Oilers gave Hyman 5.5 over 7. Uh, reportedly, we're trying to get the eighth year by trading with the Leafs in a sign and trade. Uh, the Leafs were turned down a fifth and a seventh to make that happen and bring the AV down a little bit. Um, I think there is an important distinction because on Hyman, in terms of, I, I think he's going to be really good on next year's Oilers and he's actually going to help them quite a bit. And he's sort of the right type of player. I wish that they would prioritize. Uh, finding their own Zach Hyman before he gets paid and developing him the way Toronto did in terms of clearly he improved every year, added new skills, got to this point uh, rather than, um, you know, just going and paying a premium for the, for the finished made product when he is 29 years old. And, and the other thing is, you know, investing him the way they did. Um, I don't think anyone listening to this podcast needs us to tell them the issues with investing a pricey seven-year deal in a 29-year-old that's going to take him into his mid-30s. But I do think that in this particular case with Hyman's playing style, even more so than, than I'd say Coleman and Landeskog, uh, we sort of saw in the postseason when he was a step slower because of the injury that he was coming back from, he was less effective. Now he was hurt probably still. So I don't want to hold that against him too much, but it was kind of a a sort of red flag in terms of what this player could potentially look like as a contributor and an impact player as he gets into the further into the aging process and slows down ever so slightly because he is so reliant on just causing havoc and getting to the puck faster than everyone else. And so, you know, those are obviously legitimate concerns, but I think if you're Edmonton, you're probably Ken, Ken Holland like, notoriously doesn't care about this. I mean, just look at the off season they had so far in terms of the ages of the players they brought in, but you know, they're probably thinking we've got, Dreisaitl on his deal for four more years. We've got McDavid on his deal for five more years. Uh, they're both in their mid-20s. We can't afford to have any more wasted seasons. So, heck, if we can get a couple productive years out of Hyman playing with either of those guys at 5-on-5, five five, we'll worry about the rest later. And I imagine that was – it's pretty as simple as that in terms of their their rationale for the deal they gave out. Yeah, I mean, th those players are, you know, like in the case of, of McDavid and, and Dreisaitl, the thing that always kind of gets me about the talk about, you know, the window is now we have to maximize the window as kind of a justification for these, you know, contracts that we know are not going to age particularly well is that, you know, I think that one thing that we can take away from the past couple of years is that is, is how important it is to make sure that your window is as long as possible. Like is that you have as many kicks of the can as you possibly can. You know, we saw Crosby and Malkin, you know, win back to back cups in their late twenties, early thirties. Uh, Ovechkin, obviously, he had to wait quite a while. I think he was 31 when he got his. Same thing with Stamkos. And, and a big reason that they were kind of able to have so many kicks of the can is because I, I don't think any of those teams really made the kind of big July 1st, you know, acquisitions. Like, they weren't the ones who signed the Luciches or, 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 you know, the Clarksons or anything like that. You know, they gave themselves the flexibility that they could essentially have a 10-year window. And, and I think one of the issues that I have with what, Edmonton did especially and you know you could theoretically make the, the argument that that even Colorado kind of did this is that they emphasize so much kind of the next couple of years like the short term the maximizing the statistical prime that I, I feel like maybe they are limiting the chances that their stars are going to be able to have to actually kind of continue to contend for a cup if you know the bucks just don't bounce their way and, and they just through no fault of their own aren't able to to win a cup in the first couple of years. Well, also, I, I think anecdotally, Ryan, it feels like these deals where um, 
you sign it knowing that the latter half of it is probably not going to look pretty, but you're hoping that the first couple of years are going to give your team the added boost they need. It feels like these deals uh, at an alarming rate become bad much quicker than we probably anticipate. Like it's like within a couple of years or maybe even right out of the gate, all of a sudden it becomes clear that it was a mistake. Not that I think like, I think Hyman assuming health is going to be awesome, either riding Shaka or McDavid or playing with Dreisaitl and kind of, you know, capitalizing on his passing and, and trying to sort of help him defensively um, and, and improve their metrics there. Um, but it, it does feel like in general with these deals where they, they seem very ill-advised on the surface, they want, you wind up regretting them much sooner than you probably think the, the day you sign them. Yeah, sure. Um, the, with the Oilers and Hyman specifically, like, you know, what was the knock on the Oilers for a hundred years? Uh, or, you know, going back to even when Taylor Hall was there, it's like, oh, they have like four NHL wingers on the roster at any one time, right? Uh, that's not the case anymore. Uh, their problem is very clearly on defense. I think they probably have a bottom three, bottom five defense in the league. Uh, with how everything is set up right now, obviously um, we're not done uh, with the free agency period. There can be more trades, that sort of thing, but it seems like this is the group they're going to go with and it's bad. Um, But with that having been said, you know, um, I, I think that this is a thing we talk about on puck soup a lot is what does Ken Holland care if like year four of the, uh, of the Hyman deal, uh, sucks. He's going to not have a job anymore. McDavid and Dreisaitl might have asked for a trade by then. You know, like if, if they can't, if they can't like kind of put something together with this, like, you know, duct tape and, and chewing gum approach uh, to, to adding talent up front and, and adding maybe the perception of talent, you would say on the back end. Um, it's not going to, it's not going to matter. It's, it's the same principle that you're seeing now in Chicago where Stan Bowman's like, Oh, I'm going to get fired for sure. If we, uh, don't make the playoffs and maybe even if they do, uh, 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 LA where they're going, well, we got to accelerate the, the rebuild. We got to power out of it. We got to sign a Philip to We got to, we got to trade for, uh, an Arvidsson. Because if we don't do that, uh, Drew Doughty and Anse Kopitar are gonna are gonna want out. And you know, like at least with Chicago and uh, oh, and Vancouver is the other team that's like this, uh, where it's like, oh yeah, we're just trying to sign everybody we possibly can. We got to get aggressive, blah blah blah. Oh, and well, it's like, you can't leave out the Flames out of this conversation. You're you're right, but like honestly, I feel like the Flames are like this is what we do every summer. We just kind of sign like the seventh best guy to the, you know, seventh biggest contract. And, and we hope that's going to sort out all our problems and it never will. Um, but like, this is, this is just GMs kind of going, I need to protect my job here. Um, and if these contracts don't work out well, they, you know, uh, that's fine because they only need to work once. Well, I, yeah, I, yeah, I, I think, you know, I mean, obviously I, I 100% agree with you on, on the motivations here. And I think that they're pretty clear in, in Edmonton. The, the one thing I would push back on a little bit is is on the Hyman piece. You know, I, I, I agree with you. Like, I think Hyman is, is a great complimentary player. I, I'd, I'd especially like to see him with Dreisaitl. I think that that would be a, a really good fit. I think he could probably improve Dreisaitl's defense quite a bit because I think we already saw McDavid take a couple leaps this year. Uh, but I... The thing for me is that, you know, the problem with Edmonton hasn't necessarily been that they haven't had complementary pieces on Connor McDavid's line. Like they've had Eugene Hopkins and Yamamoto and and even Pugliarvi this year, I think basically played the Zach Hyman role and, and he did a quite good job of it. You know, the problem with the Edmonton Oilers offensively is that they can't score when Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl aren't on the ice. And I would question what Zach Hyman does to solve that. You know, like he right, that's a great might help point, them yeah. be a little bit better when those two players are on the ice. 
which is great. But, you know, I, again, they're two of the most productive players in hockey. How much better do you want them to be, right? Exactly. You know, is Connor McDavid going to score, you know, 130 points next year instead of 125? Uh, and, and meanwhile, you know, that bottom of the lineup, you know, I, I, I really like some of the acquisitions that they made at forward. Like, I think that they actually, they went about it the right way. And, and I think that they, in a way that they've kind of gone about it the wrong way in the past, you know, I like Warren Fogle quite a bit, you know, even Derek Ryan, I think was a very savvy acquisition for, for the fourth line center role, but you know, those aren't guys who are going to go out and, and score 20 goals for you, you know, and, and I just, I really like Zach Hyman, but I just feel like he is kind of a luxury in terms of what they actually need. And he sets themselves up, he sets them up in a position like you alluded to, Dimitri, where if that thing does go south super quickly, like if the knee injuries start to pile up, if he slows down, you know, he's he's expanded his skill set quite a bit. Like they developed him really well in, in Toronto, but, you know, and this applies to Coleman as well. Like if the legs start to go, he's not exactly the most kind of cerebral player out there like he i feel like is going to lose quite a bit of his value when and if that happens and they might find themselves in a position where you know this kind of once in a window opportunity to really reset the team with a giant pile of cap space might come and go without them having really addressed their biggest need at forward which is you know tertiary scoring i guess you could say and the crazy part is you don't even have to spend a lot of money to get those players you just have to get them you know, Thomas, um, Thomas Tatar is right there. You know, he's probably right. going to make three million bucks because he was scratched in two playoff runs for having an on ice shooting percentage of six percent. Yep. So, but well, I, I think, but now they're now they're full up on forwards. Well, so, that's what I was going to say. I think I think their forward group actually projects very well. Yeah, I, I, I like their forwards and the like the way they're constructed. The bottom six obviously needs more of a scoring punch, but they, like it makes sense. There's much fewer holes. The blue line for me, like like Jack, yeah. when when you I knew you were going to take it to the Oilers. And I thought you were going to bring up that. Like, I think for me, um, I just find what they did genuinely mind blowing. Like, I, I think the opportunity cost of everything they did on the blue line was showed a stunning lack of, of business savvy, right? Like Cody CC mm-hmm. is a meme deservedly. So because he does funny stuff. And I think the unintentional comedy factor of his game is, is uncharted, but he provided value to the penguins last year defensively because he was making 1.25 million and because they basically used him as like their fifth most frequently used defenseman against the other team's bottom six and they got respectable numbers out of him, and that's great now the oilers are basically signing him and i have i assume based on how their depths are shaken out right now we'll use him and duncan keith as essentially their shutdown pair uh, against other teams best players and that brings up a variety of issues from the fact that they're going to get just eaten alive off the rush to uh, how many times are we going to see just possessions and in the offensive zone for the Oilers because McDavid or Dreisaitl pass it back to one of these guys and they just fired into the other team's shin pads or miss the net wildly. Like it just, in terms of constructing complementary players to how this yeah. team should be playing and what should it be, they should be doing. I, I, I can't come up with a justification for why they did what they did on the blue line. Yeah, and and this is the thing I've been saying um, about Connor McDavid since maybe his second or third season, which is like they don't have any defensemen who go and get the puck. Like we love watching Connor McDavid get the puck and go 200 feet, but if a team uh, was actually supporting him, they would have defensemen who get him maybe like 120 feet of the way, maybe 80 feet of the way, something like that. But the fact that Connor McDavid has to go up and down the ice, up and down the ice, up and down the ice, like he's going to run out of steam. You know, he could, he could do it for 56 games this year and look really good doing it. And, you know, I'm not saying like he's, he, he's out of shape or anything like that, but like, it's just, it takes a physical toll and you, and you can't, you can't do what Connor McDavid did this season, every single night in an 82 game season. It's just impossible. So, you know, like to your point about, okay, you know, I think we all like Darnell Nurse pretty good. He's a good player. Um, interested to see who they put next to him. But I, I think he himself is, is, a, is a good player who, who kind of does that thing that I was just talking about. Now, when Darnell Nurse is off the ice, what happens? Well, here's what they're going to do. They're going to give Tyson Berry premium offensive minutes. 
because he scored a lot of points last year, which is in turn going to block Evan Bouchard, who probably could do a very similar act to that for a fraction of the price. And then because they signed Cody CC, they felt empowered to trade Ethan Bear, who was also a good player making peanuts, who was a good asset moving forward. And so like, that's what I want to say, the opportunity cost, they basically, the players they acquired or the players they signed here, just like, it was like a kind of this domino effect of, oh, we're going to make one questionable move here and it's going to lead to a series of bad ones. And, and now they come out of this with this blue line where Jack, like, do you have them as the 32nd ranked blue line in terms of your roster builder? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's not pretty. Like, and, and like, it, it's like a sub replacement level blue line, which is not something that uh, was, was a thing last year like even with the, the worst teams yeah i mean it's it's a nightmare and and ryan like what you're alluding to the the mcdavid going up and down the ice and dry going up and down the ice like that's why their defensive numbers have always been so bad is because they are carrying the puck into end because they have so much speed they end up behind the net the rush goes the other way and who are they facing it's tyson berry and darnell nurse and et cetera, et cetera. and so and and they get preyed on that way and if they're if the Oilers were going to do an expensive renovation of their blue line this year. It would have made sense for them to specifically target players who can defend the rush, like in, in recognition of, okay, this is the way that McDavid and Drysaddle score points is by counterattacking. We need to make sure that when the puck goes the other way, we're going to be all set. And instead of thinking towards that, you know, now they have, I think Demetri, you're, you're right to say that, that, CC and Keith are going to be the shutdown pair because, you know, we saw Nurse and Barry get fed essentially all the minutes with McDavid last year. Like that was, you know, like I think Barry literally played something like 84% of his minutes with McDavid or Dryside last year. I think he scored one point without either of them on the ice. So uh, I think it's, it's would be unrealistic to suggest that they're going to be used in the matchups, which means that you end up with Duncan Keith, who can't defend his blue line to save his life anymore, and Cody CC, who may, maybe has taken some positive steps in that regard, but I, I wouldn't really want to, you know, see things going downhill towards him too often. And and that's I think a recipe for disaster. And and like you said, with the opportunity cost, can you confidently say that the Oilers would are better off right now than they would be if their top four was Arnell Nurse and Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones and Evan Bouchard, you know, and that's $15 million cheaper. And if you say, you know, that probably doesn't look like too good a blue line, there are much better ways to spend $15 million than on the collection of guys that they got. So it, it is baffling. And I hate that we have to keep bragging on the Oilers because it seems like every time I'm on the podcast, it always lines up with some inexplicable transaction they've made. But well, right. They can always be on one. Easy. Yeah. And and the other thing to say is, on top of everything we just said about their defense, uh, their goalies are still Mike Smith and Miko Koskinen. Like, how how do you defend that as 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 a GM? Where it's like, oh, yeah, look, nobody's saying Mike Smith didn't have a good season last year, but this guy's what he, he's thirty nine now. This guy's older than me, and we're like, oh yeah, no, look. Uh, if we if we don't if it doesn't work out with him, who by the way he's signed for two more years, uh, we can just always fall back on Miko Koskinen, the guy that uh, everybody in Edmonton is like, oh, this guy's a bum. Like, do you know how bad you have to be for uh, the Edmonton media to rightfully land on the idea that you're no good? Like, it's amazing. Yeah, it, it happens very rarely. Very rarely, <laughs> they're usually like, I'm furious with how badly. Um, Ryan Nugent Hopkins is playing and it's like, he's not the problem here. Yeah. You know that that's the case. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, Ryan, it's, it's, it's your turn. Um, give me another team or, or a theme that you want to talk about. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I alluded to it earlier. Um, what's Jim Benning doing exactly? Uh, I, I, I like, you know, I, I made a I made a, a a couple of passing references to it on Twitter today, and a, and a, a few Canucks fans were like, "Well, look, you can't say the forward group's not better." And it's like, "You got me." The the defense, though, somehow it's worse. Um, I, I I don't, you know, uh, are we gonna are are we gonna be in year ten of the rebuild? Like next come next March or April? Yeah, we're, I mean, we're getting there. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> 
I, I thought they had a series of, of, of logical moves in terms of the shedding the salary that they did. And I, yes. I like the bet on Halak. It was very low risk, even though he had a bad year last year. Sure. Why not as a backup for that price? Yes. And it, only to one get year. out from under Holtby too. Yeah, of course. Yeah. And then they turn around and then just spend a good chunk of those savings on Hamannick and Pullman and just are like, wipe, like kind of just wipe their hands. They're like, all right, we're set on the right side here. And yeah. I just, I, I, yeah, it's, it's mystifying. I, I did a full podcast recently with Harmon Dial about it. So I, I don't, I don't have any other Canucks thoughts. Do you, um, do you Jack, or do you want to just move on to a different team? I think the parallel with the Oilers is is very interesting because you know, like like we alluded to, like like the the projection has the Oilers forward group at, at sixth in the league and their defense at thirty second. It has the Canucks at the at ninth best forward group and the thirty first defense core. Like it really is kind of an interesting parallel of how the Canucks made interesting acquisitions like Dickinson and, and Garland that I think plug in really nicely and then just matched it by taking a defense that was already you know, arguably the worst in the league last year and and somehow making it project worse. And the sense that I'm getting from every single angry Canucks fan who uh, bombards me with messages whenever I point any of this out is that uh, they have hired a new assistant coach to focus on the defense next year. Uh, Brad Shaw from Columbus, who from what I've been informed is going to uh, wave a magic wand in Vancouver and turn all of their bad defensemen into good defensemen again. Cool. So I, I, I mean, it, it's possible. Uh, and, and, I, I would certainly hope that Quinn Hughes isn't going to have like a 43% expected goal share this year, but uh, it, it just seemed like a weird decision to go such a route of, okay, we're going to bring the band back together in terms of having a Hammond and Hughes pairing again. And then we're also going to have Ekman Larson and Myers as a pairing. And then Pullman is the guy that we're going to put on our bottom pair. Like just none of it makes any sense to me. Yeah. Like two, two things. Brad Hunt uh, coming out of Columbus. Bradshaw. Okay, or Bradshaw. Brad Hunt is a. Brad player. Hunt did sign with the Canucks, though. He, he did. Yes, go. that's why. Uh, I'm, I'm literally looking at their cap friendly page and I saw uh, his name as I was saying that. Um, Bradshaw. Uh, uh, okay, he's coming. He's going to fix the defense. Yeah, how'd that work out for Columbus last year? Uh, Seth Jones like was just doing uh, the media rounds going, oh, I was terrible. Uh, I was really bad this year. I don't know what happened. Um, you know, like everybody in Columbus had like a year, a career worst year last year. So that guy's gonna, that guy's gonna fix uh, this group. Um, and then the other thing, and this really, I mean, if you need, if you ever needed a quote to sum up the Jim Benning experience, right? When they say, you know, what's the plan for Oliver Ekman Larson? What, you know, you just, you just uh, acquired this, the, you gave up quite a bit to, to acquire this defenseman. Um, uh, what, what do you think? And his, his quote, I'm, I don't have it in front of me, but paraphrasing was, yeah, I don't really know why his plus minus was so bad last year, but I think we'll figure it out. And it's like that, that to me is just exactly what Jim Benning is all about, where it's like, you know what? I have these preconceived notions. Something doesn't line up with them. It's mystifying to me. I don't have an answer, but Hey, it's all going to work out for me, baby. I'm Jim Benning. And there, and it's like, well, you're not getting fired. So I guess on some level, it is all working out for you. Yeah. Can can I make a quick comment on the Bradshaw? Just because we, because we brought it up, I just had to look it up really quickly. Uh, It just occurred to me that like, while he was the assistant coach of the blue jackets, they had exactly one season where they were an above average expected goals against team. And it was the last season, like the, the 1920 year. So, you know, that really is not a, you know, and you know, maybe he's a really great defensive coach. Like that's obviously not evidence in and of itself, but if you're expecting him to turn around, you know, I, I think it's fair to say One that the, the Canucks, worst defenses in the league. I, 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 yeah. I think you could fairly say the Canucks were have been the worst defense in the league at least last year and, and arguably the year before in terms of just the sheer amount of quality they allowed and, and the rush chances and, and the high danger opportunities and everything. And you know, if you're going to turn this thing around in a year with no substantial difference in personnel, except that you've added a guy in Ekman Larson who the entire prayer on him turning around is that he's going to be happier in Vancouver than he was in, in Arizona, because none of the physical, you know, indicators of, of somebody turning around their game are really present. That's, that's a lot of hope to, to pit on a guy. And, and I, I feel like we could see a lot of six, five, seven, six games between the Oilers and the Canucks, unless 
the Canucks goaltending coach is able to continue to work the miracles that he has for the past few seasons. Yeah. And then they're going to play the Kraken and it's going to be like negative two to, to one. Like yeah. there's, it's going to be such a wild uh, disparity between the defensive metrics for those teams. I can't wait. Um, all right. We've been, I feel like we've been pretty, pretty negative for the most part. And, and I feel like this, uh, the first day of free agency Us? typically Come leads on. to those reactions yeah. because a lot of nonsensical decisions are made and, and panic moves. I want to give the lightning some love because I joked on Twitter about how the salary cap is kind of just like, it's mostly a suggestion. And it was obviously partly in jest, but I do believe that, um, it only really limits you as much as your own sort of creativity or ambition does. And, and so the lightning just every year, it seems like we're wondering what's going to happen. Oh, they're going to be up against it this time. And then a lot of times it is for whatever reason, them finding, a way to talk a team into helping them out. And most recently they get the Blackhawks to take Tyler Johnson's $5 million salary over the next three years off their hands um, are going to be fine now, pretty comfortable. And also, you know, they go, whatever they add Pierre Edward Belmar, they add Brian Elliott, they add Zach Bogosian, whatever, all for, all for cheap, nice little depth pieces. Um, But then also kind of somewhat quietly, I guess, just turn around and one year ahead of time, just sign, Braden point to a massive extension that matches Kucherov and Vasilevsky are like, all right, well, this isn't going to be an issue for us moving forward because we, now we have them on a great value deal all of a sudden moving. Well, all as they had the entire time, but in terms of not worrying about um, what's going to happen with him in the future. And so just in terms of the way they're connected business, I feel like we just spend an hour talking about kind of mistakes and, and, and I, that's more interesting for our purposes here to talk about, but the lightning are a team that, that really seems to take advantage of all the resources available to them and just get it done through creative ways. And, and I wanted to give them some, some love here because it feels like we have been very negative so far. Yeah. yeah. Oh, go ahead, Ryan. Oh, uh, well, I was just going to say like to, to, for them, a, a team that is going to spend above the cap because they get to, uh, like for them to have an almost $12 million uh, swing in cap space by trading for, or by trading for uh, the Seabrook deal and trading away Tyler Johnson, masterstroke. Like, what, uh, like if you're the Tampa Bay Lightning, giving away a player for nothing and a good player, like a, a solid middle of the lineup uh, forward, uh, giving him away for nothing except a, a dead contract, one of the worst contracts uh, signed in recent memory. Uh, that all works out great for you. That's incredible to me. And they, they're, they're just doing it every year. Like, I, I would not be shocked if they figured out how to get somebody else who's, who's just like LTIR retired. Because um, why not? And then, and then they can go out and they can get, uh, Thomas Tatar or whoever. God, they're going to get Thomas Tatar. I mean, I, I think it's crazy to me that Tyler Johnson, I understand it was a season ago, so he had an extra year of term uh, and it was a different different time in terms of how teams were spending. But we just like, the, Jack, you're, you're a waivers test, right? We just talked about how Tyler Johnson literally passed through waivers without a taker. And then because they're a really good team, they won a cup. He performed well himself in a fourth line role, scored some key, key goals. But now all of a sudden they're able to flip him without retaining any salary all they give up as a second. So they get to keep their first for future use as well. And it's just, yeah, once again, they just, they just wriggled the way out of it. The Blackhawks were all too willing to help them out and it's, it's a good piece of work. And so, um, yeah, it's, what, what were you going to say about them, Jack? Yeah, I, I guess that the, the two things is, first of all, it's always amusing with, uh, with the Tampa cap stuff is that every time they make a, a, transi- a transaction that's related to cap space, there's always the immediate reaction of, okay, this shouldn't be allowed. And I'm not saying that that's like a bitter thing or anything like that. I'm just saying it's always the entertaining thing to me is that they, they are able to kind of bend but not break the rules so much that when they do the LTIR thing, you know, it's totally... Uh, you know, it's, it's, that's how the rules go. They're able to do the Kucherov thing, you know, then, you know, this time they acquire a player who has for all intents and purposes retired and now they have him on their books and they're able to do the swing that way. 
you know, both situations where people can make fair arguments that it shouldn't be allowed, but, you know, Tampa doesn't care about that. They just, they make it work. And, and then the second quick thing was that I just thought it was amusing that, you know, according to the, the projection model, you know, that Brayden Point contract projects, you know, including the last year on his current deal, projects to be the best contract in the league. Like it just goes through his entire prime. He's an excellent player. He's making less than 10 million bucks and he's not really going to decline that much over the course of it. Uh, and I just found it amusing that it is was signed a couple of days later and is the exact same term and cap hit as what is projected as the worst contract in the league, which is the Seth Jones contract. So uh, a lot of respect to Tampa Bay for having such a quick turnaround on that one. Yep. All right. Well, um, is there any other, any other teams or, or players or, um, or themes that either of you wanted to get to while we're still here? I- I did. I did want to talk about uh, the Bruins a little bit. I alluded to it earlier with the with the Forbort Riley comparison, mm-hmm. but like uh, I, I should say, they've done a really good job uh, of of adding talent that without like breaking the bank or anything. Like Linus Allmark is, is going to cost them a bit of of money, and they just traded uh, Dan Vladosh for uh, uh, a third okay. round pick. I think yeah. it was, um, but. Taylor Hall, six million bucks, seems like, and and only four years. That seems like it's going to be a really good value for them. I, um, go ahead. Well, I was just, so sorry to cut you off. I was just going to say, and I'm sure you're going to get to this, but I I agree with you. Uh, the Riley one and the and the Hall extensions are both fantastic. I I I wish they would have just, and maybe this wasn't an option. Maybe they offered it, and for whatever reason, Billy Coleman picked calgary but they were the other team linked to them and i understand the risk involved in the six-year deal or whatever if you're the bruins whatever i i would have taken that money they gave they gave what 3.8 to felino 1.75 to nozick 2.375 to Hala. like blake Coleman yeah. would have been such a good player on this team oh. like a perfect winger and, and, and maybe it wasn't available to them or maybe they were too scared off by the six-year term but i wish they like if they would have gone that route instead um then i would have said it was like the best off season. Yeah. Like that, that's, that's the thing, right. Where it's like, I, I made a joke on Twitter earlier where I said like, how many bottom six forwards does one team need? Because they also have, uh, it should be said like a fair number of pretty good bottom six forwards um, already on the roster. And so, you know, like Felino helps, Nosek helps, Hala helps. And, and what Don Sweeney said was that he likes they can all play multiple positions. They can all play up or down in the lineup as as need be. Um, and like it, a lot of this kind of seems like uh, David Krejci doesn't resign insurance. Um, I, I saw that there was a rumor going around that that was going to happen at some point. Um, it hasn't happened yet. Uh, I'm sure that if he does sign somewhere, Boston will be the only team he really considers, and it won't be for a lot of money because um, he he just made a whole lot of money on this last contract. So you know, like if we're if we're looking at what Boston needed to do to shore up the defense, we we talked about um, Edmonton's problem was always that they didn't do anything good when McDavid. And uh, and Drysaddle were off the ice. That was also the knock on the Bruins uh, up until the the Hall trade with uh, when the when the Bergeron line came off the ice. They were just terrible, you know. Um, so this this settles that problem for them. Um, and I guess now the only thing you say is like, boy, they they could have used that foreboard money a little bit better, huh? Like. Uh, you know, like I said, if you're using him as a bottom pair guy and he's going to be the uh, the Kevin Miller uh, punching people replacement, I guess that's fine. But, you know, um, I, I, I just think that uh, the, the Bruins really solidified their spot for me, like right near the top of that division. Yeah, I, I would. I, I agree with Demetri. I really would have liked to see. Coleman go there or even like I, I had the Islanders as kind of a, an interesting fit for him. I thought he would have done really, really well there. I, I think it is just kind of just disappointing to see Coleman go to Calgary. I think just, you know, he's such kind of a playoff type player. We, we saw him kind of excel in that situation where he was, you know, I, I think arguably the missing piece on, on those Tampa teams that really kind of helped everything click into place. And I am a little disappointed that he's not going to be, you know, filling that role, whether it was on like the the hall line or or in New York, if he was kind of adding some scoring depth to that team, 
that he's going to be kind of on on this Calgary team that is kind of in a similar situation we alluded to earlier, where we just kind of don't really know what they're doing. Uh, I, I I agree with Ryan. You know, I, I like some of the some of the pieces that Boston added in the bottom six. Some of them I thought were were a bit of a, a stretch. That that Felino second year might be a little dicey, but you know, overall, I, I think Boston did what they had to to keep up with the pack because uh, they they were at risk of being left behind. And and even if maybe that old Mark deal is a little risky, I, I think that considering what Florida's done, and then obviously Tampa Bay and Toronto are still kind of trending to be strong contenders. I don't think Boston really had a choice but to to push in all their chips while while the Marshan Bergeron uh, Pasternak line is is still the best in the league. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And on the Coleman thing, it's funny. Like every, everyone that the Flames added um, has good like defensive impacts, but it, it's such a, a Daryl Sutter thing. They're just like They're doubling, boys, tripling, yeah. and, and quadrupling yeah. down on it. And I guess like the one saving grace is I'm really interested if they do play like Coleman, Mangiapane, and Backlund or something as a line like that. That's going to be one buzzsaw of a line. So I'm, I'm, I'm. I'm I love Coleman, the player, but yeah, you're right. We'll, we'll see on the Islanders. They would have been an interesting fit for them. They've been in very Lou Lamorello fashion, very, very quiet, just lurking in the shadows. And it seems like they're going to bring back Palmieri and probably do a bunch of other stuff. So we will see on that. Um, all right, let's, let's get out of here. I, I need to, uh, I need to lay down. I need to have a couple beers. It's been a very, yeah. very long day, uh, over here. Um, me. we don't have to do the, uh, modesty where we're like oh people should go uh go check out ep ringside people have to go check out ep ringside if they listen if they're listening to this podcast they should do so we have an unreal amount of great content up there um and if you're interested in signing up and you want a promo code for it uh feel free to hit any of us up and we'll uh we'll help get you sorted on that so guys it was a blast i'm glad we got to do this thanks for taking the time at the end of a, a very crazy day and we're gonna check back in at some point with both of you all right Sounds good. Good one, bud. All right. That's going to be it for today's episode of the Hockey Pediocast. Thanks, as always, for listening. Hopefully, you enjoyed our conversation about day one of the free agent spending period. Uh, there was obviously a ton to get to and a bunch of different moves to discuss, and, and we tried our best to to balance around and cover as much of it as we could. But you know, here on the Pediocast, sometimes we get uh, bogged down with, with one topic and we wind up spending way too long with it, and, and hopefully that's part of the charm. But uh, it doesn't serve us the best for, for shows like this where there is just so much to get around to so uh, i promise the plan is over the next couple days we will do another show all about free agency with another pair of guests where we try to uh, cover the stuff we haven't yet so far and uh, and put a bow on all the moves that we've been seeing it has been a crazy week in the nhl there has been so much to discuss in terms of player movement and trades and and analysis and with all the drafts and stuff as well so we have done six shows i believe now over the past seven days and hopefully you've enjoyed them uh, if you haven't listened yet certainly go back into the feed and check them out hopefully um they're still timely and hold up um we will be back in the next couple days as i said so look forward to that in the meantime if you have been enjoying all the all the new pdo casts please consider helping us out by leaving a quick little rating and review just smash that five star button leave a quick little burb if you have time about what you enjoy about the show or why you recommend people check it out if they haven't done so yet thank you to those of you that have uh left the rating and review so far it's all greatly appreciated and thank you to those of you that will do so moving forward we'll be back in a couple days here thanks for listening and until then Twitter at Dim Filipovich and on SoundCloud at soundcloud.com slash hockey pediocast.